Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nacho Time. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. Carl Inger. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, man, not a problem. Uh, I'm glad I can be on. Uh, you know, I kind of like this stuff. This is really the first one I've ever been on, so I'm excited to see where this goes. Now, I know you're thinking of starting a podcast of your own sometime soon. Is that right? Yeah, uh, but grad school kind of, you know, is jumping on, uh, is, is taking most of my time. So it's like trying to figure out the whole scheduling aspect of that. I might end up doing it like in my off time, like during breaks from school. But yeah, still still uh, a work in progress. Yeah, I forget that you're doing the whole working and school thing. Beyond impressive. Yeah, it's definitely, t- it's taken a toll on me. But you know, work life, school balance is always important. So yeah, well, thank I, you for I, taking the time to be here. Yeah, man, dude. There's always always got to make time for things, right? That's right. And uh, this is going to be the first edition of The Drunken Nacho, where Carl and I will both be drinking throughout the podcast. I got a couple tall boy hazy IPAs next to me. I think Carl's got some whiskey. Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to compare the beginning of this podcast to the end. It'll be fun. Oh, yeah. As the booze kicks in. That's right. The, tr- the truth comes out. Yes. Uh, so just for the listeners out there, Carl, do you mind giving a little bit of background on yourself, like where you grew up? And obviously we met in college, so maybe Virginia Tech and then now what you're doing post-college. Yeah. So uh, my background is, like, you know, I came from a family, a little a town outside of D.C. in uh, Clifton, Virginia. Uh, got, you know, went to a pretty small town, you know, everyone. Um and I kind of decided when I was young to be like a super nerd. I was going to, I wanted to be a rocket scientist from the age of 10 years old. And so it kind of guided my career in school. Um, and then I went to Virginia Tech to pursue aerospace engineering. Um, and, you know, in order to make some money on the side, I started teaching at the Math Emporium where I met you, you Jack. Uh, so good times. We literally met each other the last semester of all of school and we became best friends almost instantly. It, yeah, definitely clicked like that. Now, I can't remember, was the first time that we met at the tutoring lab or was it out at one of the bars? Was it at Tots? Um, I think so. Funny story is, uh, so I saw you at Tots one time right after I broke up with my girlfriend at the time in college. And I saw you talking to her and I was like, oh. Okay. So that was pre-tutoring lab. It's pre-tutoring lab. Okay, and then that's I saw, right. And, that's right. And then I met you at the Math Emporium, and I was like, I was like, I've seen this guy before. Oh, oh, I know where I've seen him. You're like that motherfucker. I uh, kind of I, at first, but then like we started talking, I was like, no, nah, dude, this guy's cool as shit. <laughs> <laughs> completely went out the window. Didn't even care. Like I let go of all that kind of stuff after a while. But yeah, um, I got my degree in aerospace, and then. Uh, moved to, yeah, it's been quite the journey since then. I had yeah. a job, I had a job offer, uh, when I graduated school, but then that job offer disappeared. Um, it was a government job. The, the job just disappeared out of nowhere. So then I was left abandoned after or in July of 2017. And I scrambled to find a job. Uh, first thing that hit really was, um, a job down in Huntsville, Alabama. So I moved there for a year and a half, kind of got my life started. And then I decided, well, Alabama's 
all right, but you know, jobs I really want are out west. So I picked myself up, moved myself to Southern California, and here we sit. Now, was that just a career, pursuing different career, or did you want to come out west for other reasons too? So, I mean, the goal when I was 10 years old, like I said, was to be a rocket scientist, but the full goal was to be a rocket scientist in Southern California. So I kind of I kind of got that. Uh, I checked those boxes now. Mission accomplished. Um, mission accomplished, but now like the real big mission is I'll put man back on the moon and get man back into space for exploration. There we go. Um, and so <laughs> the funny part is uh, I thought those jobs were going to be out here. Uh, turns out that the lunar landers being developed in my hometown, Dulles, Virginia, like just outside of my hometown in Dulles, Virginia, and the actual lunar lander itself is being built in Huntsville. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so is there another move in your future? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, California, <laughs> California was never the end stop. It was always a, you know, gain all my skills out here, uh, network and do just live the Southern California life for a little bit. And then, uh, move back home and bring that experience, bring all my experience back to the working place and family back here, back, back there, I guess. Right now. So since wanting to be a rocket scientist from a very early age and then sticking with that, were there like growing up with that goal, were there any sort of hesitations along the way where you thought your career path might diverge into something else? I'm just curious, like what kept you motivated and kept you so locked in on that goal? So, I mean, yeah, there were definitely, uh, I, I, for, I always found math and science just to be very cool things. Um, so it was kind of just a natural driver for me just to keep going down that path. And it kind of changed a few times. Like, um, my senior year of high school, I was, I was infatuated with chemistry and I mean, kind of makes sense. Rocket science, chemical propulsion system, things like that. Sure. I was, I was really fascinated with the chemistry and all that kind of stuff. So my freshman year, actually, I kind of had a breakdown. I was crossing uh, Virginia Tech drill field, uh, and I was on the phone with my mom, and I was like, "Holy shit! I don't, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I love my physics class, I love my chemistry class, I love my engineering class. Like, I want to do like four majors and minors in X, Y, and Z. And I just didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know where I was going to go." It's kind of amazing that you put that kind of stress on yourself as early as freshman year. Right, right. Like I, I, it was extremely stressful. Like, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I wasn't just a bookworm all of freshman year. I went out and had a lot of fun and met a lot of people and, you know, made myself, uh, you know, have fun. But like still that lifelong goal was like, you know, just always there in the background. And I ended up just sticking to my guns and saying, you know what? Aerospace engineering kind of encapsulates all of that stuff. It encapsulates physics, chemistry, uh, engineering design, and things like that. So um, went down the pure uh, aerospace uh, aerospace path and uh, then got a mathematics minor and a physics minor just to kind of bring it around full circle because I like those two topics. That's very cool. Um, very, very cool. What kept me on focus really was just the jaded like nature of that stuff. You know, like when you think about, you know, 
oh my god yeah cool human beings landed on the moon it's like well, let's just think about how actually complicated that is for a second like it's a completely separate celestial body which requires all of the fields of engineering and physics to work together to get four people three four people on the moon right and the fact that there was not one single flight failure during the apollo missions is absolutely amazing there was of course the uh uh you know, the cabin fire on Apollo one, which never left the ground. But after that, it's just incredible. The fact that human beings were able to do that. And I just found that to be something that motivated me and kept me going. uh, Yeah. That's a really good bit of perspective right there. When you hear of the moon landing, at least for me, you don't really think much of it, but then you dig into it and you're like, Holy cow, how is this possible? Yeah. Like, like I get it, man. So like the people that are, like, there's no way we could have landed on the moon. It's a conspiracy. It's like, yo, I, I understand that you think it's impossible for us to land on the moon because of how difficult it actually is. Yeah. But like, but like, don't undercut human beings. We did this. We actually did this. It's amazing that we did it. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it captures everyone's fascination, you know? Yeah, it sure. Brought the, brought the world together. Something that we've touched on in previous podcasts here was um, just like kind of this overarching fact that humans are very uncomfortable without knowledge, like without um, knowing those answers to the big questions. Where do we come from? Like they envy this sort of explanation of everything. And when something is very, very complicated, like for instance, the evolutionary process, or in this case, the lunar landing, Um, it's very easy to say conspiracy or it's very easy to say God or very easy to just interject some sort of story that is far easy to explain as opposed Mm -hmm. to stepping back and saying, I don't know, let's look into it. And if we don't have an answer, being comfortable saying, I don't know. So like I, I could say right now, I have no idea how we landed on the moon. I do not know any of the specifics. I don't know any of the the math calculations that went into it. I don't know very much about orbits, like very, very little, but I can withhold judgment and say, this is very complicated, but let's examine the evidence and then right. move forward from there. Right. Um, and you know, you kind of went to a good point. You went to like a very key, you hit on a very key human trait there, which is uh, uh, explaining unknowns and explaining unknown unknowns right it's like well how, how do you explain the stuff that we're not able to comprehend human beings typically just you know find the easiest thing that they can latch onto and say that's what it is or come right? up with a story or come up with the story i mean like you see that in all throughout like human history it's like well where do we come from uh uh what are the stars? Uh, uh, why are we here? Like, wh- what is all of this stuff that surrounds us? And, you know, stories like uh, 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 all of the ancient go- uh, Greek and Roman gods, uh, yep. the Norse gods, even tell the current Christian god. And all of that stuff is just a story to try to explain the stuff that we don't know. Um, exactly. Yes. That, that, I couldn't have put it better. And I actually heard a very interesting quote. I don't know if you've heard this uh, from Neil deGrasse Tyson, who has said, if God or or, uh, our religious beings 
is the uh, explanation for scientific ignorance, then that institution, the institution of religious thought, is an ever receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Meaning, yes. as, sci- as, scienti- as, as we learn more in science, the field of religion just shrinks down to a singularity and almost becomes, it becomes more of a uh, moral guideline rather than an explanation for things, which is, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Um, Some people- I I had to close my eyes as you were giving that first explanation to to grasp that one, but that's absolutely true. As we learn more and more, the need for these explanations and stories goes down. Mm -hmm. As, As we learn more, we're just we're, we're we're shrinking that pocket of of religion to not necessarily get rid of it, but to make it more something that is just a, a moral guideline. Which, again, we all need some sort of moral guidelines. Hell, I need some. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Uh, the what was it? Episode three of this one was morality, and I don't have a fully hashed out view yet. But in my mind. Uh, even from a moral standpoint, I think religion falls desperately short. Uh, so there are other, you know, moral models that are, you know, better to try to follow as opposed to something from a claimed holy book. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, we won't, we won't get too deep into morality. I found myself (laughs) going down that rabbit hole a lot recently. (laughs) It's it's a, it's a tough one, man. There's, there's many different branches to that. Uh, yes topic so absolutely well something i wanted to bring up with you is uh last time i drove down to la you posed something that was pretty interesting to me that i said when we met up last that i would love to talk with you more about and that topic Mm -hmm. is the four criteria to determine whether or not you should be alive and when you first i don't have the four written down and i'm kind of i'm spacing on exactly what they were i gathered the idea of it that's that's why i wanted to talk to you about it uh but by and large i agreed so i would love to kind of hash this out with you yeah no absolutely so it's it's pretty easy it's two h's and two s's you need to make if the, the criteria go you know if you don't make the world a happier healthier smarter or safer place in any way then I think that you should not be allowed to live. It's, it's harsh. Um, not being allowed to live or not being allowed to procreate. Yeah. You know what? I can, I can, I can go with that. I can, I can stick with not being allowed to procreate. Okay. Or, just like, <laughs> or just at least, uh, 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 exiled or, or, or kept separate from, the rest of the working members, uh, uh, proactively working members of society. Okay. Um, cause it's not hard to do any of these things. Like it's, it's not hard to make the world a smarter place. It's not hard to make the world a happier or safer or healthier place. You know, let's talk about maybe what each of these things means and maybe provide an example of each because the people obviously draw happiness from different things and maybe what makes one person happy makes another person the opposite, very angry and upset. So let's let's go through a couple examples of these that we can most likely agree generally make the world a either happier, healthier, safer, or smarter place. How about so? What okay. about ha- what about happier? What would be an example of that? All right. So I mean, that's so 
this one's kind of the most uh, uh, it's kind of dis- it causes discrepancies like yes it's easy to just say well you've got a murderer on the streets but that murderer might makes one person happy in the world like uh, uh, you know some other freaking psychopath who thinks that this person's a good person like they make them happy then how do we how do we uh, resolve that well it's not just necessarily the singular events it's the culmination of what how, do you do you cause happiness do you bring happiness to the environment you are in it's not just a singular event of happiness you know um granted we all kind of have our days where we're kind of dickheads or you know we cause anger in some people's lives and that's that that makes sense that's just the part of human interaction right you can't love everyone you can't make everyone happy but for the most part the goal is to make the world a happier place just by bringing laughter and joy and and comfort to people you know um, sure now I'm, I'm wondering whether or not it makes sense to dive in a little bit deeper but maybe just one level deeper what yeah, can, it, can we put some kind of definition on happiness yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we can, we can go down the pure physical route of the rele- the, the quantity of dopamine or serotonin released in your brain mm, or, okay. or we can go down the path because I mean, that that's not, you could use that as an example, as a, as a definition, but you know, you can also get that from smoking dope, doing other drugs. To, so it's not a very good measure of, um, real happiness right real fulfillment right and i think the real fulfillment like the definition of real fulfillment is just having the ability to just take deep breaths and feel comfort and feel that natural like serotonin feel that fuzzy like brain happiness where you just you know it's it's you know what you can't i can't really put a solid definition it's tough to define so like part of the, the I swear, I'm going to stop going back to this eventually, but in every podcast, I tend to refer to it back to the free will topic that I discussed at a previous podcast was everything that we do as human beings, since there is no free will is in effort to maximize pleasure. And you could even substitute right. the word happiness in here. Um, you can be right or wrong about whether you're actually maximizing pleasure, but every action you do is in effort to maximize your own pleasure. So maybe it's this moreover, this objective pleasure, whatever that means. If you're increasing that general objective pleasure for the majority of people, that's a good thing. And that's something you should be doing. But defining that objective pleasure is extremely difficult. I feel like, you know what? And this might seem a bit morbid, but like, the way that a person, the way that you might be able to judge it is on your deathbed. You know, how many people, you, uh, the, the, there's a quote out there that's something like you, you die twice. You know, the first time is when they put you in the ground. And the last time is somebody mentions your name, you know, mm. I, th- I think that it kind of is. Um, and when you, when you think about the, the second definition there, the, the last time somebody mentions your name, that kind of, 
speaks to your impact on society. Absolutely. That's the point where your legacy, quote unquote, dies. Right. And so if, if you can leave a good legacy where people are mentioning your name, like how many people show up to your funeral? How many people show up to your funeral and say good things? You know, you know, um, that's one thing that I always like try to keep in the back of my head. It's like, you know, if I were to die today, uh, what, what kind of legacy, what kind of, uh, uh, what kind of legacy have I left behind? Have I made people happy in my life? And, have I have I done my best part as a human being to make this world a better place? And I think to this point, I think I have because, you know, it's I always try to bring out like find silver linings and make things positive, like not just always dwell on the negative. I sometimes do dwell on the negative, but I always try to turn it and spin it into something positive, you know? Totally. So that's that's where I think like Happiness is just that coming, try, try to come back into that. Happiness just, is just your ability to cause happiness in other people. If other people can come to you in any time, whether they're upset or extremely happy and they can just talk to you, I think that's a good measure of happiness. Sure. You know? No, that makes sense. It, I mean, this, the whole defining happiness is probably a bit too pedantic, but I just was curious your take on it. Right. I think, and, and I think what we'll discover here is that that's going to be the hardest one of the four to, you know, kind of hash out the uh, sure. happiness one. Okay. So what, what right. about healthy? I mean, that one's like, that one's pretty straightforward. You look at any of those like Instagram models or anything like that, or like both male or female, any kind of training coach or hell, uh, 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 medical person, any, any doctor, they, they strive to make the world a better place, right? Because um, being healthy is just, it's, it's crucial to being human, right? If, if you're healthy for a longer period of your life, you're likely to live a long time. So um, we're talking about strictly physical health here? Physical, mental, like, doctor, like doctors as well, right? So uh, 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 mental doctors, um, uh, psychologists. Okay. Uh, they they are they strive to make the world a healthier place, right? Because they talk to people with um, I won't say mental disorder, but uh, uh, no, mental deficiencies, like yeah. mental deficiencies. Um, like I I have anxiety. I I am actually researching currently going to see psychologists and talk to them just about stuff because I know that I'm an anxious person. And I don't really have the bandwidth or like a, a large community out here in California to talk to about the stuff that I'm experiencing or what I'm thinking about. So sure. I think, you know, that, that doctor, whoever I find is going to help make me a healthier person mentally, you know? Right. Um, now, what about then, if you're not a doctor or not a therapist or anything like that? What, what could you do possibly to make the world a healthier place? Um, I just, uh, a personal trainer or, or, uh, okay. Like anything that just, hmm. Anything I mean, that promotes a sense health. of health. Okay. Anything that promotes a sense of health kind of right. Um, giving food to the poor, you know, they need food that's bringing health to them. Sure. Um, 
it's just it, – it's not something that's too difficult, you know? Now I have one more question here that I don't I, – hopefully I don't – it's not controversial or anything, but maybe maybe some people would consider – take a mother or father and their child has some sort of mental disorder, be it um, anything from as simple as ADHD all the way, you know, to, for example, Down syndrome. I, I, I'm willing to bet that there's parents out there who would say – there's nothing wrong with my child. He's perfectly healthy and like he's exactly the way or he or she is supposed to be. Is there a sense of health that's objective that we'd say this person is unhealthy and should go see this person in order to get them well again? Um, yeah, I mean like if you're coughing and and you have some sort of cold or flu or something like that you're not going to sit there and be like oh yeah i'm healthy don't worry about it yeah i'm talking about more of the obscure cases but but like yeah so like at the same to that same token it's like okay you have a diagnosed issue that that by definition means you are not of perfect health and granted no one is of perfect health that's just by human nature it's what it is yeah so if you promote health in any sense to help people live and be as healthy as possible. That's, that's all you, that's it. You know? It's yeah. Like, so I guess at that point, it's just a point of ignorance for that person. Like if you're dealing with someone with a diagnosed issue and you're choosing to say, Oh no, it's perfectly healthy. It's how he or she is supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera. That's just a point of ignorance that we need to look back. Right. It's kind of, it's kind of a point of ignorance, but at the same time, like I see what they're trying to get at. It's like, oh, well, you shouldn't call them unhealthy be- just because they have one thing wrong with them. It's like, I get it. I'm not trying to say that they're unhealthy. I'm trying to just say, you know, they haven't, they have a problem. They should, you know, either go see what they can do to uh, 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 minimize that problem. And make themselves a healthier person. I'm not, you know, and even if they choose not to do that, you know, there's sure. plenty of self-medicating ways to get over ADHD or or anxiety or you know, you can meditate. You can do a whole bunch of different stuff, but you know, it doesn't mean you're any less un, or, and it doesn't mean you're any more healthy than you were before you started doing any of those things. I guess it's, right. It's, there is still some sense of uh, um, diagnosed issue, right? It's still a sense of diagnosed issue, but you haven't lost any value. Maybe that's a good way right. to put it. Right. You could, and you might even bring a different value, right? Exactly. It's not true. Right. So, yeah. So that's healthier, you know, just make the world a healthier place. And I guess like the way I thought about this stuff was really myself and two of my buddies in high school that came up with those four criteria. Um, and the way that we were thinking about it is just like we kind of thought about all the jobs in the world that do good things, right? Teachers, doctors, uh, 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 law enforcement, yep, just the things that try to make this world a civilized place, right? Um, and those are the four like fundamental things that we kind of boiled down to saying, hey, if you do any one of these things, then that's that's enough to qualify you as a human being that is worth procreating and giving this world more good people like that. 
Right. Okay, so we can bounce through these the last two then. Safer law enforcement, like you said, firefighters. Exactly. Um, anyone like that right. in the service industry. Smarter, like you said, teachers and professors. Um, and what we did with tutoring. Um, yeah, there you go. Like that. Bringing, bringing education. I think like education is just the most important thing, at least to me. I think it's the most important thing that humanity has to offer is education proper um, education should put a little proper, uh, asterisk right. on that asterisk yeah. proper education because this uh, the, the the smarter your population is the i i think this is true i'm not going based off of any statistics i'm just going based off of pure logic here the smarter your populace is the less likely i think there is to be violent crime. The, there less likely there is to be violent action. Because um, when you look at things like, you know, ISIS or or uh, uh, a bunch of different terrorist groups around the world, they're they're not exactly exactly the most educated group of people. In fact, the leaders of those programs try to get people that are not very educated because they know that. They're very easily malle- they're, they're, they're malleable. They can they can recruit them easier and put uh, uh, their mantra into their head. You know, absolutely. Um, now you hear heard it here first. Carl advocates that stupid people are going to commit crimes. <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty easy thing to guess, right? <laughs> no, I you know, t- I totally know what you mean. Um, so it, it's just stupid. And, and, and it's not their fault either. It's, it's, it has to do with environment, right? It's, it's not that stupid people are always going to be stupid. It's just they're, they're, they're stuck in an environment that doesn't promote education. And it's unfortunate. And it's something I really would like to help like eradicate really is education around the world. Um, it's absolutely imperative that we get the world smart like the fact that we still have people fucking saying that the earth is flat fuck me are you serious yeah i mean we've seen a resurgence of that recently like a lot of conspiracy they're not just the flat earthists though like there's a lot of conspiracy theories that like anti-vaxxers for instance why is that a growing trend but what do you what do you think is causing this resurgence of these ideas uh i think it's a twofold thing the uh growth and the exponential growth in population, right? The more people that are on the earth, the more, the, the, the more people there are, you know, that are, uh, it's, it's all down to like statistics, right? When, when you think about statistics, there's always, there's always one thing bad in the batch. It's never 100%, right? And so when you have, let's just say, for example, Nine out of 10, when you say nine out of 10 people will experience blah, right? If you have a population of 10 people, you'll, you know, one person is going to have that. Correct. But when you have 10 billion people, now what, uh, 1 billion people are walking around with that. And 1 billion is by no means a small amount of people. And then give each of them a voice on social media and it appears like there's thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah, totally. And, and so that's why I mean, that's where I was kind of getting at with the twofold. It's the increase, increased population mixed in with that uh, 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 ever present 
internet voice that they can have. So a population, however, you know, even if it's just a small fraction, five, 10% can appear to be very, very large. And that appearance of being large gathers more people to want to join them because it's the, the, the loud minority, which stirs up the most shit where the, the quiet minority like us just sit back and go, look at these stupid people. Like, what quiet the majority people? there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like the majority of the people don't believe in a flat earth, but the loudest people talking about flat earth are screaming it at the top of their lungs. And the rest of us kind of look at it and go, shut up, please. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking and then like we don't we don't actively think about it because it's not a thing to think about. <laughs> like it, obviously the world is round. So <laughs> right. Like it, 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 that's why the flat earthers seem like they're 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 large. It's just they're loud and they won't stop talking about it. <laughs> what do you think about the, all the UFO conspiracies? Like being being someone um, in the aerospace industry and you know in space just in general. What about those? So so I get that a lot, actually. Like, like when when I talk to somebody about the stuff that I do, oh yeah, I do aerospace, I I, I, do, I work on rockets uh, um, and launch vehicles and things like that. It's like, oh, well, have you heard about this this uh, antimatter, anti gravity warp drive thing that the government is working on? They're doing blah blah blah. It's like, it, first off, what you're talking about is. It's it's not it's non physical, right? Yeah. The amount of and and then they're like, well, the government keeps it hidden from you, so you would never know. It's like, no, we like. First off, we're gonna need to crack one of one of those before we go on. A little more whiskey. A little more whiskey. We're gonna be talking about UFOs here. Oh yeah. Well, it's actually funny. So my buddy sent me um this video of these like orange lights that like appear in the night sky in uh, Emerald Isle, North Carolina. And they're like, it's a really weird configuration. And like somebody took this video over the summer. But the funny thing is like three or four years ago, I was at, I was at Emerald Isle with my friends and family and we were all sitting there talking and I saw the exact same lights like back then. And I, I, I told everyone, I was like, everyone shut up and look out over the ocean I don't know what that is, but that's weird. And it was a it, it was very UFO like. Granted, this beach had a military base not too far away from it. Well, so, catch, catch did you catch what you just said a few seconds ago? You were saying, well, "Look, look at those orange lights." I don't know what it is. That was your right. very first thing. You did not say that's a UFO. That's the like claiming something, right? Well, I mean, exactly. So, but at the end of the day, when you think about UFO, everyone's kind of misconstrued what UFO it's means. It's true. Unidentified it, flying object. It's an unidentified. So I don't know what it is, but it's flying. Therefore, it is an unidentified flying object. That's true. Object. When, when most people say UFO, though, that's not what they, they mean. Right. They think alien technology. They yes. think a whole bunch of stuff. So technically, yes. Like, I, that's the way I think, at least. If I say something's a UFO, I legitimately mean those three letters: unidentified flying object. Right, right. Uh, but but I saw that video and I was like, huh, wow, this is just now getting out here. Like, but like I said, to that extent, it's like I know that there was a military base not too far away. 
do I know what kind of technology it was? Do I know anything like that? No. But my very first assumption is, ah, it's probably some military shit. And that's where I kind of leave it, right? Yeah. But then, but then you start seeing things like, I don't know, the, uh, the Navy released those recordings. Was it the Navy or the Air Force? Was this part of the thing that Joe Rogan just did a podcast on with someone? Yeah. I, I, I think haven't I listened to it yet, but yeah, either way. But, you know, I watched that video and I go, uh, that, that's actually, that's really freaking weird. I have no idea what that is. Like, that's, it's flying really fast. It's flying in, there, there doesn't seem to be any thermal radiation, aka thrust or anything like that coming off of this object. And it's just moving mm. very quickly. And that, to me, just makes me scratch my head, you know. But as 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 a uh, scientist, like just by nature, it's never aliens, you know, because I know how big the universe is. I right. can't fathom it, but I, I shouldn't say I know how big. I understand how large the universe could be. Are you able to get big. give just like a little bit of perspective here? Because I mean, there's yeah. a YouTube video that does it pretty well, but I kind of like you to explain it if you don't mind just get, gives the people a perspective of how small we are okay yeah no this this is a fun one so if you were to try to if you were to take the entire milky way galaxy actually no let's let's back up let's let's start with something we kind of know yeah right? zoom in a little bit so, we'll zoom in a little bit if earth were the size of an nba regulated basketball so about nine and a half inches in diameter okay the sun the sun would be approximately the size of an eight story building okay so that's just the earth and the sun okay okay and if 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 now we say that that's that's that size okay so now let's do the solar system which actually is even even larger of course right the solar system forget about forget about the earth and the sun for a second just forget about that so we know that our earth is absolutely a tiny 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 speck in our galaxy that's something that's fathomable it's like if you were to take one grain of sand off of the beach nobody would know any different that that grain of sand sand was ever there right that's true that's how small we are just let's just say in our galaxy now if you were to take our entire galaxy and shrink it down to the size of that grain of sand, the observable universe. So what we can see in the universe would be the size of our galaxy. Take that in. <laughs> Think about that for that, a second. So we just shrunk down the galaxy. We'd previously shrunk down the earth and the solar system. Let's just say the solar system down to a grain of sand and that's what the galaxy gives us some perspective there. Then shrink the galaxy down to a grain of sand. Right. And that's what it is in the observable universe. So the galaxy, yes, the galaxy would be a the size of the grain of sand, right? Compared to the universe? Compared to the universe, if you, if you were to look at the scale there, so... If our galaxy is like the size of a grain of sand, yeah. then then the entire observable universe is the size 
of that of our galaxy. Right. That's so, absurd. It's it's stupid big. And again, I I want to I want to I want to clarify the word observable universe. Yes, please. There is there's most likely a universe or there's more most likely a universe beyond what we can see. Right. To give you an analogy for that. To give you an analogy for that, it's like, you know, when you're standing on on the beach, you see that, you know, you can only see so far, right? You can only see so far before the horizon curves away from you, right? Yep. But if if you go out to that horizon, right, now you see further than what you could have seen on the beach, right? Right. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. There there might be more beyond the curve that we can't see um, just based off of how how scalable the universe is. And by scalable, I mean – the things that we kind of see on the small scale tend to be kind of the same way on the large scale. Right. Um, but yeah, so back coming back full circle, it's like, I, I kind of have an understanding that the universe is so abs- absurdly large. Right. And if we kind of go down, you know, the whole, uh, uh, where's all the intelligent life. Um, it takes, it takes light by itself, light has a finite speed limit, right? So you can't travel faster than the speed of light and information can only travel at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. So it takes eight minutes for information from the sun to reach us. So if the sun were to disappear, we wouldn't know for eight and a half minutes. It would just, we wouldn't know. We would, we would still see the sun in the sky. We would still be traveling in an orbit, but eight minutes later, when this, when we received that information, all hell would break loose and we would go flying off into eternal darkness and be screwed forever. But it, so what I tried to establish there is that the speed of light is kind of slow comparatively to the size of the universe and you can't travel faster than it. And you can barely travel at it if you are pure energy. Um, So pretty much we get information really late to when it actually happens. Really freaking late, really, really freaking late, right? And so what I'm trying to say is you can't build a mechanical device that goes faster than as you can't build a mechanical device to go the speed of light, right? So even if there were aliens, the amount of time it would take for them to get to us from anywhere in the universe is stupid long, stupid, 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 stupid long. Right. And thinking about how, how long it took for intelligent life, at least our intelligent life, to become part of this universe, 13 something billion years, it, it, it's very unlikely that any alien race would have the time to get to us. So the point I'm trying to establish there is it's never aliens. <laughs> however, it's however, almost- I, I'd like to, I'll add a little caveat there and you can give me your opinion on this. Just purely based off of statistics and how common the stuff we're made of is in the universe. You probably know this better than me. What is it? Carbon, hydrogen. What else are we right. made out of? Nitrogen? Uh, I don't know. Carbon, hydrogen. Pretty much carbon is okay. we're carbon-based. We're carbon-based. Uh, and yeah. from what I've seen on from Neil deGrasse Tyson and all of his talks and whatnot, 
is carbon is so, so common in the universe. So right. just based off of statistical likelihood, the odds that no other life exists in the universe has got to be pretty slim. Whether or not oh. now, whether or not we're visited by someone else, that's that's another topic. But the whole right. the whole question of are we alone in the universe? Likelihood would say right. absolutely not. Right. Right. And and I'm gonna touch back on the whole how how large the universe is. Yeah. Again, statistics dictate that nothing is zero and nothing is a hundred percent. So based on statistic likelihood alone and how common, like you said, our components are, I would I am comfortable enough in saying that yes, without a doubt, there's other life in the universe. Right. Whether it's intelligent or not, I I won't I'm no more intelligent on the greatest expert. No, I, no more intelligent than uh, 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 someone who's watching Neil deGrasse Tyson or any of those videos, right? But knowing mathematics and just pure likelihood and, and, and things like that, it is almost statistically impossible that there is not at least another form of life in this universe. Sure. So yeah, I, 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 I hear you on that for sure. Okay. I just figured um, it was important to draw that distinction. Oh yeah. The difference between there being alien life here on earth that it has advanced technology versus there being life in the universe. Very different. Pure, completely different kinds of uh, completely different data sets. Yes. Um, it's just, yeah, completely different. Yeah. No, um, makes sense. Now one, one analogy that I remember you talking about with me that I really liked, uh, then I've talked about a little bit since then was, uh, this whole idea of if you took, if you, by some means, were able to take every human being up to the International Space Station, and this goes along with what we were talking about with like this added perspective that you can have knowing how big the universe actually is, you posed that right. if you could take someone up to the International Space Station and, and just put them against a window and just say, look at all of that. Look at the Earth. Right. Just, just, right. just soak it in for a minute. And then right. have them return to Earth and then just observe them and see how their life changes and what decisions they make and how they function. If it's different from how they functioned before that to me right. really, really stuck with me because that added perspective that you're injecting into this person's life is going to have them act differently. So I, just, I just kind of wanted your take on that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very elegant thing really. Cause like, getting someone to the international space station and back right just that alone like we take for granted this atmosphere right you know we we stick our hand out of the window when we're driving and we feel like we kind of angle our hand at different angles to get different kinds of like forces and you kind of like sure wave your hand right i'll do that on so the way we kind here of have right exactly so we we mess around and we kind of take the atmosphere for granted but you know you you sit somebody on a rocket a giant controlled explosive, right? And then you send them up into space where they're experiencing from the time that launch occurs to the time that they are uh, uh, in microgravity, they're experiencing absolute absurd amounts of forces, vibrations, shocks, uh, extreme Gs, and then out of nowhere, you're, you're weightless. 
that in and of itself is a life altering thought. Like yeah, just this going is, from this is before they even reach the International Space Station. Before you even reach the International Space Station. Yeah. You're 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 questioning if you're gonna make it and you're like, Oh my god, human beings have built this? Like that's the at least the way that I think about it. It's like it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, I've always kind of <laughs> I put myself I put myself in the mind of one of these people and go, Oh, that's terrifying, but it was designed to it was designed for this purpose, right? And then so escaping that, now we're now we're floating in microgravity. And you look down and you see where the hell you just came from. Like it's not like being on an airplane when you're flying. You everywhere you look around, there's Earth, right? There's no darkness. But when you're up in space, you look down and part of what you see is Earth, and part of what you see is just black nothingness. Sure. And that right there is like, what the hell? Like in my mind, I'm like, geez. How do you, how do you even fathom? I I can't, I can't fathom. You you see it on the TV every now and then. Oh look, this is what the Earth looks like. But looking at it with your own eyes, in nothing like you're in a spaceship that's and you're floating in that spaceship, right? It's like yeah. there's no political boundaries. There's there's you you don't see any TV. It's just pure Earth. And then you see that slim tiny sliver of an atmosphere that you just experienced through all the all the shaking and rattling you're plunging through that atmosphere and it's so thin you look at it and you go that there's nothing keeping us from there's nothing keeping us from space oblivion yeah like if that thing were gone we're dead right so then there's that thought and then there's again the thought of there's no political boundaries like you don't see the wars happening. You don't. You don't see. You just see pure nature. You see three colors. You see blue, you see white, and you see green. And you might see a little bit of yellow because like deserts and stuff like that. But for the most part, those are those are the four colors you see, and that's it. It's like you a truly green. simplified view of everything you know. Exactly. And then and then the thought might occur to you. Everyone on Earth except for me and the people in this spaceship, everyone on earth that's ever lived ever is down there. And I know, Even I know Carl Sagan is a big influence right. of you. So I could already see you going down the yes. pale blue dot quote there. It's exactly right. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of my, like, that's my religion. That's my philosophy there. Like when, when I first heard that, I was like, yep, I, I subscribe. That is, that is how I think. And the way that he puts it in the pale blue dot is just so elegant and true that I, I, you can't, I can't say it any better. Yeah. It's really but beautiful. Then, Maybe it's worth hashing out real quick. I'll, I'll read it out real quick. If you don't mind. It's, yeah, go ahead. I can, I'll pour myself another thing of whiskey. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's see here. There you go. Do you want to give the little bit of background about why he, why he was talking about Let's it? Let's let you do that because I actually don't know the background. I'd be interested to learn it. I, I know the picture. Okay. I know the picture. That's about it. Right. And so that's what the picture – so that 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 event was triggered by Carl Sagan. Um, so once the Voyager 1 spacecraft had passed uh, Saturn, um, Carl Sagan was like, hey, turn Voyager back around and have it take a picture because apparently in that picture you have 
I think Saturn, Mercury, Venus, Earth, you have a whole bunch of different planets all in one frame of a picture. And the one that stands out the most is Earth. And it's laying in what uh, Carl Sagan describes as a golden or, a sunbeam. or this yellow sunbeam. Yeah. sunbeam. Um, and so he just wanted to get a picture to show that this is our spacecraft. And by when I say our spacecraft, I'm talking about Earth. Earth is our spacecraft. And we took a picture of it and how fragile it is laying in this empty black vastness. And so he wanted to capture that. So was it really um, Carl Sagan's idea to turn Voyager 1 around and take this picture? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So the quote that we're about to discuss is is his his perspective on what that image offers humanity. And it's truly beautiful. Like I, I need this framed in my future home. Uh, yeah. but here it is. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politicians, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. That is, it's just beyond poetic it's truly it's, beautiful it really is like just there's like thinking about it and like i could just i i'm i'm i can see the picture in my head but at the same time the way that he discusses every type of uh, most types of human beings that ever have lived on this earth right it's like we all lived on this one tiny insignificant yet significant dot in a random part of a random galaxy in a potentially random universe. Yeah. And some people, some people might go as far as to say, you know, that's God, God put us here on this and it's not random, but it's like, okay, even just, just take, take that, take God out of that equation for a second. Just think about the implications of how fragile yet significant, it is. We are, we are by definition, the universe trying to figure itself out. Yeah. Or not. That's, that's what our brain does. It's made up of these particles that have over billions of years come together to form a human brain. And we, the human brain are asking where the, where the hell do we come from? Why are, why is brain? Why is us? You know, like the universe is asking that self, that self question. Absolutely. There's, uh, I have a good buddy of mine who actually lives down in San Diego right now. Is, uh, he was on the podcast earlier. Jeremy is doing his MD PhD program, but he's got this very memorable thing that stuck with me. Uh, he calls it the lizard brain. And it's these instinctual qualities that you saying that just kind of reminded me of. Um, 
of humans. And it, it really reminds me of the universe trying to sort itself out. And then on a micro level, our, our brains trying to figure themselves out in the big universe. Like there's certain instinctual things that we do or that stick with us that are very lizard brain-esque. It's, it's the right. things that we think pre-evolution, pre-all of this stuff. Okay. Um, it's, it's like the, the instincts that we have immediately, like uh, fight or flight, that kind of stuff. That's when right. the lizard brain kicks in. And obviously all of this is very, very micro to the whole, to the grand scheme of the universe. But I think it just lends itself to the idea that even, even now as human beings, we're trying to, we're still trying to figure ourselves out in the grand scheme of things. Right. It's yeah. And that's, that's a crazy thing, man. Like, like I, I think about it from time to time. Like we literally are the universe trying to figure itself out. And it's just a weird, weird, weird thing. Cause like, it's kind of a, you know, I kind of, you can kind of set it back to like a computer, like, you know, Right now, a computer is just kind of like us in terms of, you know, we're just doing what we're doing and the computer's just doing what we're telling it to do, right? But once we develop a computer that kind of has its own, it, it can, it's, it's truly a artificial intelligence, you know, is that what the universe is kind of like doing with us? Is that where we're headed in the universe once we kind of have this like, now this is this is kind of drinking. This this is the whiskey's starting to kick in, I guess. <laughs> Dude, I'm two eight percenters deep, so I'm I'm with you. It's like, is the universe kind of like are, are we the the classical computer for the universe right now? And then once we get to a certain point in the universe evolution or our biology, are we going to turn into some sort of collective quant like? That's like, a really, really good thought. Like, you, it, it's it's a very like metaphysics kind of thinking, which I don't typically do, but it's also kind of warrants itself for question because we we started off as non intelligent beings. We started off with no uh, 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 level of consciousness, yet we've developed into this. And I guarantee you that the organisms that our ancestors were they their thoughts were simply day-to-day survival getting through stuff and they never could have imagined uh, uh uh abstract thought in the way that we do so who's to say that you know what we say right now what we think right now is impossible is not actually impossible it's just our biology is not yet capable of or we have not yet evolved to have that kind of like collective consciousness. I'm probably going to butcher this whole thing, but I'm going to try to paint a picture here. I saw some video of Christopher Hitchens, um, the late Christopher Hitchens uh, pretty recently, uh, but he was describing what we could expect in the future. And if we look back thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of years ago, obviously we don't have human beings. We have some, less evolved creatures that we came from a, a common ancestor and some, some derivative, right? Some derivative and imagine them overlooking a sunset, for example, and notice how different they are to ourselves. And then think that exact same amount of time in the future. 
and we're obviously exponentially, you know, making a difference on the evolutionary scale. Like we're becoming more and more different as time goes on. So imagine this even accentuated the, the, the pe- I don't want to say people, but the derivative of human beings, whatever that may be, thousands and thousands of years from now, the exact same time difference between now and way back when, whenever, you know, pre-homo sapiens, whatever it is, they are going to look just from a purely physical standpoint that much different than us now. That to me is just, it, it blows my mind. I can't imagine someone looking out at a sunset as different from me as I am to a past common ancestor. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, kind of, kind of pulling on that thread, like when let's just go back a thousand years, like you were taught or a million or whatever years that, that, uh, um, predecessor, that predecessor to human beings, looked at the sunset and didn't think anything of it. Like it's not something it thought about or very true. Or yeah. Think of the thought process. Thought so it might not even be a sunset that the thing a thousand years from now, or absolutely, it could be something we see every single day and yeah. just look at it and not even understand it yet. There's so much beauty and elegance in it that they understand that we can't even perceive. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a it's, really, really good point. I like that. Like, it's not just the sunset. It's like, like, what could it be? And so like, I sometimes like to think like, you know, we say that we live in three dimensions and human beings are only capable of experiencing three dimensions because that's what we live in. But if you were to go back, you know, a few thousand, few, or yeah, three few thousand years, uh, hundreds of thousands of years, you know, those, those animals kind of only saw in two dimensions, right? They didn't, they couldn't really see 3d. They only moved, they moved around in 3d, but they could only see in like 2d almost because their eyes weren't fully developed to be able to comprehend three dimensions. Hmm. Um, so just because you, 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 you interact with three dimensions doesn't mean that we can't experience more, right? Like for example, I think um, Einstein's general uh, theory of general relativity describes a four-dimensional space-time, right? So we ex- we experience three dimensions of space, one di- di- uh, one dimension of time. But there are other theories out there that kind of talk about higher dimensional things, like string theory or things like that. Like what's what's preventing us from trying to comprehend a four-dimension of a, a four spatially dimensional cube or tesseract, right? Sure. What, what limits us, I think, is not our ability to interact with it. Well, yeah, no, no, that's probably, yeah. So I was going to go, I was going to say not our ability to interact with it, but our ability to, um, our, our exposure to it. So I'm a firm believer in saying, you know, maybe we're just not interacting and, 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 playing around with four-dimensional objects enough to understand them intuitively the same way we understand three dimensions intuitively. So you're saying the whole, the whole dimensional analysis could be evolutionary. Is that the point? 
yeah, kind of. That that's that's kind of like what I'm getting at. Like we we just haven't dug deep enough into it yet. Okay. Um, um, and so one thing I've actually kind of thought about is, so have you ever, uh, uh, so you know how when you take your hand and you hold out hold it out in front of you and you wave your hand like back and forth like you're waving at somebody, but sure. you do it really quickly. Sure. You see you see your fingers in multiple locations at one time. Right. Kind of right. I'm kind of a firm believer in thinking, what if we were to do the same thing with a higher dimensional object? So like a 4D Tesseract, right? If we were to move it really quickly through the three dimensions that we experience, would we be able to see the whole picture? And kind of the philosophy behind that is imagine that you're a, imagine that you're a piece of paper, right? And you can only see like so you're so you're talking two D to three D now. Yeah, I'm talking two D to three D, right? Okay. If you're a piece of paper and you your eyes are on the edge of the piece of paper, you can only ever see a line of the world at a time, right? I'm sure. Okay, so now if you kind of do the same thing where like I was talking about waving your hand, but you move or or yeah, you take that object and you move it back and forth really quickly in three dimensions, that 2D person might see the whole 3D object and be able to get an understanding of it. It's kind of like, it's like scanning it almost in like three dimensions. Hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe we do the same thing with like a Tesseract, move it really back and forth in three, like move it back and forth really quickly in three dimensions. Maybe our brains might be able to comprehend what a four dimensional object looks like. So, the math follows and theoretically I can totally understand what, where you're coming from, but from a physical, like actually observable and testable model, I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around that. So like, I don't know. Uh, uh, we know how to make, um, holograms these days, right? I don't know if we know how to make hologram like movies, but if we could, Again, this is the whiskey talking. Uh, so. <laughs> we'll we'll wrap it up here shortly. Let's let's finish with this one. Let's do it. Yeah, um, I think I think that if we were able to move a tesseract fast enough through three dimensional space and view it, I think it might be able to unlock a certain aspect of understanding. And allow us to start to probe deeper four dimensions of like space and and mathematically comprehend these things. I could be completely wrong, and I'm okay with accepting that. But sure, I, it's, I think it's something that might be worth investigating or figuring out how to do. Because let's just say you know we think three dimensionally right now. What if we were able to think four dimensionally? That would change the way. Everything works, I think. No, it's it's totally true. I mean, anything that could that can help us understand more, I'm all for. And even if we're wrong about it, then we can add that to the knowledge bank too. So, right. I mean, that's what life's all about, man. You you live, you learn, and literally the the process of learning is just a. Uh, 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 Repeated failure and until you get it right. Speaking of learning, I'd, I'd like to wrap up on this note. If 
even through talking about all of this, maybe it made you think of something different, but what's one piece of advice that you could offer the listeners and maybe even a piece of advice you could offer the younger listeners that are even younger than us trying to sort out their career path, just kind of like you were freshman year of college when you were kind of having that breakdown of what you wanted to do. Uh, for me, it, that that whole mental breakdown of trying to figure out where my passion lie definitely fell later, fell, fell like just slightly after uh, graduation from college. But what are some, what's like a piece of advice you could offer people in that sort of situation and just moreover, just general advice about this sort of stuff and adding perspective and kind of just the stuff we've talked about so far. Uh, okay. Yeah, no. Um, so I guess just in terms of general advice, um, don't be afraid and don't ever undersell yourself or say that, Oh, I'm not good at X, right? Because, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day. Rome was built in many days, just the same way that the only reason I can say that I, I am a, an established or comfortable with talking about rocket science as fluently as I do is because I've literally been trying to study it, study it since I was 10 years old. I'm that's, that's more than half of my life. I've been pursuing that goal. So it never came easy. It's not something that's easy. It's just, I've been doing it for so long. And so when you expose yourself to something that you think is cool, for enough time, you become an expert in it. You become what you want to be in it. So don't be afraid to just grab the bull by the horns and start at ground zero and keep pushing. Even if you don't understand it, just keep pushing because eventually it will become intuitive. Um, that's kind of like advice number one. Don't, don't stop because you don't, don't stop because you think you don't understand it. I didn't understand aerodynamics at first. I didn't understand freaking rocket science at first, but like eventually it became second nature, right? That's um, great. So beyond that, I would just say always remain always remain curious and always remain skeptical but in a in a scientific sense, not in a conspiracy sense. Like if somebody states a fact, research that fact don't just accept it as true like i find myself saying things from time to time where i i think i'm right and i assert myself as if what i'm saying is true but in the back of my mind i kind of second guess and go i you know i don't know if that's actually true and i research it later and if somebody calls me out and says i'm wrong i i'm i'm happy about that like it's a good thing to be wrong because then you learn that's, that's how you learn um so always be curious, always be skeptical, and always, you know, just be aware of what you're trying to say or, you know, be 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 ready to be wrong, right? Because that's, that's where you learn and grow. Um, yeah. And when it comes to just, you know, the four criteria for life, literally just try to make the world a happier, safer, smarter, and healthier place. If you can do any one of those four things, dude, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. That's great. Carl, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm very glad that you were able to take the time out of your busy schedule with grad school and work to, uh, to take some time and do this podcast. So thank you. Big thank you to you.
dude absolutely thank you for having me on um i'm i'm down to do this again dude i like this this is uh i like the i like the drunken nacho this is good this is good yeah i'm i'm feeling right yeah dude me too i'm feeling i'm feeling good and this the glass of whiskey right next to me is just like hey man i got more where that came from (laughs) and this is even more perfect since the uh episode one of season four of rick and morty comes out tonight i I assume you're gonna be watching that right yeah goddamn right i will (laughs) (laughs) i i uh i identify myself as as rick from time to time uh if if that fictional world were real i would i would be the drunken rick all of the time there's something that appeals to me about that drunken rick state that i i don't know i it's obviously not a healthy lifestyle to live you don't want to be an alcoholic like rick but there's something weird that appeals to me i don't know if you feel the same thing (laughs) it's it's no you're right because it's i like i i i find myself to be and and this is this is very um it's the word i'm looking for very subjective um when i have a few glasses of whiskey or a glass of whiskey and i do something that's technical or i think technical i find myself actually um thinking more deep and thinking more uh uh um away from just the regulated rules of how things work and sometimes that's how you know new discoveries are made like i'm sitting here looking at this piece of paper one time i I wrote down this this question one time about space time and the accelerating universe and i wrote this specifically after i've had a couple glasses of whiskey (laughs) question and the question is what if galaxies are not accelerating away but the acceleration that we see is a consequence of the curvature of higher dimensional space time. Hmm. So it's that not that not something I fully grasp at all, but it sounds good. But it, right. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not accelerating away from us. It, it looks like it's accelerating away from us in three dimensions, but in four dimensions, the only thing that's happening is that it's a curved fourth dimension that's just experiencing time so it's not it's not that the actual objects are accelerating away from us it's that time is just processing forward and that procession forward in that fourth dimension looks like acceleration it's clear that this whole dimensional analysis conversation that we have is not something that you're new to no 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 no. i do this (laughs) again I'm I'm weird in that sense where I like to talk about this shit when I'm drunk. So. No, but I love it. I love it. But yeah, that's I think we'll we'll leave the viewers to to that question. There you go. But cool, Carl. Thank you again. It's been awesome. And um, sign off from here. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Nacho Time, a little sub podcast of the Drunken Nacho with Mr. Carl Inger. So thank round you. one, baby. Round one. Round two yeah, coming man. soon, maybe. Oh, I'm in. All right. See you guys. All right. See you guys.